Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Well, today we have an interesting guest, really smart guy who just released an incredible book. And I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about. I wanted to talk about the book. And uh, I just come to realize that this guy is incredibly knowledgeable about the mortgage industry and housing and in predicting where the housing market is going. And he's in the media all the time, CNBC, wherever else, Fox Business. So we ended up talking about the housing market and the future of what's going on in terms of mortgage financing and real estate residential real estate specifically at the beginning of this interview. And then we got into his book, which is amazing because it's about opportunity, where opportunity lies, that the fact is opportunities around you all the time. And it's just a matter of being aware. And we talked about mindset and trends and uh, his stories are interesting about what inspired him to write the book. He's very well connected. He's an amazing individual. I've come to really like him and we're going to be hanging out together in New York the next time I'm out there which is another business venture that I'm involved in related to Broadway. I'm going to leave that to the very end of the episode where we talk a little bit about that. I could have gone on for hours with him about every single one of the topics we talked about. So we're going to talk about real estate, trends going on in real estate. We're going to talk about his book, Money in the Streets and Opportunity and Mindset. And we're going to talk about a little bit about Broadway and what he is doing in that. Uh, he's been very successful. So with that, we are going to move on to my guest, and I think you're going to really enjoy the show. It's my pleasure to welcome Barry Habib to the show. Barry is an American entrepreneur and a frequent media resource for his mortgage and housing expertise. He was named the 2019 Mortgage Professional of the Year by National Mortgage Professional Magazine, and he was a 2019 finalist for the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, which is amazing. So with that, Barry, welcome to the show. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me, Marco. It's great having you on. You're a very interesting guy. I love your new book, and I really love what you've accomplished. And as we were talking here offline, you've told me about some of the other achievements that you've had recently. So Tell our audience more about you and what you've achieved and maybe a little bit about your background and, and what you actually do. So you're very kind. Yeah, um, I have been named the top real estate forecaster of the year by Zillow and Pulsonomics for 2018 and 2020. I was the only one who uh, won that twice. And there's so many wonderful, respected, big names in there. You know, you get Goldman Sachs and Bank America, Wells Fargo, and many, many, many others. And then there's little old me and my team. And uh, we've been fortunate and blessed that uh, that we've been able to come up with good metrics that have been very reliable for forecasting real estate. And we've also done a good job in, in forecasting rates. We received a lot of uh, notoriety for uh, breaking down what's going on with when the Fed was buying too much. I got in front of the Fed and explained to them that they were buying too much uh, last March, at the end of March of last year, and did a whole thing on CNBC and got in front of the Fed and they kind of calmed things down, which people say kind of saved the mortgage and housing industry in 2020 uh, because the Fed didn't realize what they were doing. They created a lot of margin calls by their over purchases of mortgage-backed securities. They had good intentions, but the mechanics and the plumbing are a little bit more complicated than that. And so, yeah, we we uh, we made some pretty bold calls, talked about the 10-year Treasury going to 1% when everybody said it was going to go to 5 And this was back when it was at 3% early 2019. And sure enough, it hit that before the lockdowns and said we're going into recession, which we did in February before the lockdowns. And 
But so we've been able to use some, I think, important tools to help forecast uh, what to expect. We've got some good ideas, I think, for 2021 as well. So I like to follow trends. I find that if you follow trends, you can see and to some degree predict the future. What are the biggest trends that you are seeing right now as it relates to residential real estate investing and investors? So if you believe in the law of supply and demand, there's just not enough supply. COVID really knocked down builders' ability to fill supply, which was already running short. And then when you take a look at the vacancies, vacancies are an all-time low. And that's important because people aren't going to dump homes. And then people will say, you know, there's a lot of folks out there. Diana Old's been always negative on real estate on CNBC. And then you got Adam Data and Housing Wire. And everybody's worried about things like foreclosures, forbearances, and affordability. But, you know, forbearance, it was a big tool, but a very small percentage of people took it. And uh, you don't come out of forbearance with a big bill to pay. It kind of rides gently along your first mortgage, acts as kind of a second mortgage with no payments. And it just has to be paid when you either refinance, when you sell the home, or when the loan matures. So people will be staggered when they are going to be in a position to actually have to come up with those dollars that were in forbearance. Now, there's going to be some people that aren't back to work and they're going to be having some issues. But the reason why that won't affect real estate is because those numbers are very, very small uh, because unfortunately COVID has disproportionately affected those who are renting and less those who are home purchasers who are less in the service sector and can do things like we're doing right now, Marco. You know, So mm-hmm. when we take a look at forbearance, it's not going to play a big role because people today have equity. Do you know right. that uh, 97% of people have at least 10% equity and uh, 89% of people have at least 20% equity. So if you ran into a situation where you couldn't make a payment, just put your house on the market and they are selling, as you know, like hotcakes, multiple offers. So uh, we believe that's a, a pretty safe area for real estate. The other ones, people get the misconception of affordability because they think, oh my gosh, real estate's gone up so much. They look at the median home prices and that has gone up 15.5% on an existing home. But all that means is that half the homes are purchased above that median home price of 313000 half below it. Because there's a tremendous lack of inventory on the lower end, the number gets skewed. So it's not appreciation. It's simply the median home price. Actual appreciation is up 7%. That's pretty robust. So people Mm -hmm. are saying, oh, well, it's not keeping up with hourly earnings. Well, you shouldn't look at hourly earnings to begin with. You should look at weekly earnings because you can work more or less hours. Weekly earnings up 5.9%, pretty significant. Appreciation up seven. The reason why we don't worry about that is because you don't use all of your income to make your mortgage payment. You make a tiny fraction. So if real estate values go up or payments go up 5%, your income only has to go up 1% in order to offset the differential. So income is going up at 5.9%. We're going to be extraordinarily affordable for a very long time, Mark. Yeah, you made a lot of good points. There's so much there we could potentially unpack. One thing I want to point out before I forget it is this, that even though prices have gone up a lot around the country, you know, you're talking an average of 7%. In some markets, we've seen double-digit appreciation rates for two years in a row, which is not sustainable. But the point is, is that interest rates have gone down too. So even though housing in general has gone up, the affordability has also improved. So our mortgage rates are lower, mortgage payments, which is how we buy real estate, we pay for real estate based on the monthly payment, not the total purchase price. And affordability has improved, you know, compared to last year. So we're in a better situation. And as real estate investors or entrepreneurs, you know, which I know is your background, this is very bullish for us because we have strong demand, lack of supply, we're well positioned to take advantage of that growth. We have historically low interest rates. And, uh, you know, it, real estate was a great investment before, and it's just a better investment now. And, and a lot of people don't 
see that because they think we're heading for a crash. No, we're not heading for a crash. There's a few things. And yes, while um, Seattle and, and Phoenix and Tampa have been double-digit appreciation rates, they have extraordinarily strong job markets. So because they're very tech-centric, they are going to continue to do well because people mm. can do what we're doing here. Now, the thing that's that I don't think people look at deeply enough is people don't look at demographics. So mm. what I focus a lot on is taking a look at the median age of a first-time home buyer, which today is 33 years old, because that's the engine. That first-time home buyer buys a home, then somebody moves up and moves up and moves up. It just starts the thing running. And the first-time home buyer depletes inventory. See, if I own a home and I buy a home, yeah, I take one away, but I sell my home, so I pull one back. So it's net neutral as far as inventory goes. The first-time home buyer takes one away, doesn't put one back. And they are buying homes faster than builders are putting them up. So back to demographics, the median age of a first-time home buyer is 33. We go back to 1987 and we look at the birth rates. And what we see is 88, 89, and 90, literally an explosion in the amount of births that occurred from 87 to 88, then to 89, then to 90. And it always stays above. It will never go back below the birth rates, at least till now, of 1987. So what you're going to see in the next three years is enormous demand, and we just don't have the supply there. So this will be extraordinarily supportive of home prices. When we take a look at the interest rate aspect of it, you know, Janet Yellen now is the Treasury Secretary, met, never met a spending program she didn't like. Jerome Powell, <laughs> the, the Fed, she wasn't a great Treasury, she wasn't a great Fed chair. I don't know if she's going to be a great Treasury Secretary, but Jerome Powell is Fed chair really wants to get into everything. I mean, really, you think about this, he would butt heads with Stephen Mnuchin, the current Treasury Secretary, because Jerome Powell thinks that, and they're doing this, buying bonds of McDonald's and Apple. Why would the Fed have to buy bonds of Apple? Is Apple really suffering, okay? I mean, have you seen their stock price? Do you see how much cash they have? Have you seen their earnings? This company does not need Federal Reserve to be purchasing their right. bond. So what we have here is we have Stephen Mnuchin kind of at least tempering Jerome Powell to some degree, but with Janet Yellen, she's going to be a cheerleader. So that means longer dated maturities, continuation of buying mortgage-backed securities at a clip of $100 billion per month. So you will continue to see downward pressure on rates. And the thing that people don't understand, Marco, people don't understand how debt works. I hear everybody say all the time, oh, rates are going to go up because the debt's higher. Yes, the debt is higher. It went from $22 trillion in 2019 to currently $27. After the stimulus, there'll be $28 trillion. We become immune to the term trillion, right? So just if you're listening to this, I've got a question for you. If I said to you, go ahead and spend a million dollars a day, take a million dollars a day and spend it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's hard for many of us to do. How many days would it take for you to spend a trillion dollars? A long, long time. Long time. Would it surprise you if it was 2,700 years? You'd have to have started spending a million dollars a day in 700 BC in order <laughs> to spend a trillion dollars. Okay? Right. So the bottom line is trillion dollars is a lot of money. So when you talk about $28 trillion in debt, that weighs on economic growth. Imagine a family who's got so much debt that now what they've got to do is got to make all the monthly payments on that. So they don't have a lot of discretionary income to create economic activity. It's the same for governments. Let's make this clear. We are not printing money. Thank God we are not. We are borrowing it via treasuries. Right. And by doing this, we have to make the payments on those. So that's why the incentive is for the Fed to kind of turn Japanese here, become Japanese and monetize the debt. Because if interest rates go up, it would destroy an already lousy budget that we have in debt to GDP. Yeah. So what we are looking at here is we're looking at a lot of pressure down on rates. Because remember this, slower growth, which we will have, creates lower inflation, as does technology. And inflation is the driver of mortgage rates. 
and interest rates in general. So you look at Germany, we're negative 60 basis points, yield on the 10-year boon. People say, why would I want to buy? A, there's $18 trillion, Marco, negative yielding debt, $18 trillion. People say, why would you want to do that? Because even though you have a negative yield, you're paying to get that. If yields go even further negative, and that's what the bet is, yes. you make capital appreciation. So there's a lot of smart money saying rates yep. will be lower. We agree. We disagree with a lot of the talk right now that rates are going to go much higher. Now, they could. They can have some blips up here. And nothing goes in the straight line and stays flat. We think the rates are going to be really good in 2021, as we real estate. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, some of my good friends have actually predicted 2% interest rates, mortgage rates, years ago. I was actually on a panel with Doug Duggan, the chief economist for Fannie Mae, about five weeks ago. And one of the things that he's predicting off the record is essentially that mortgage rates are going to drop a little bit into 2021, not significantly, but enough that it's still historically low. And so that's just going to keep real estate and the housing markets around the country humming along. You mentioned negative rates. I just want to say, I mean, Europe has been there for a long time. I mean, we're now getting into a position here in the US or in North America where we're going to start to see negative rates as well. We might. I'm not 100% sure if we go negative uh, because that really does put a tremendous amount of pressure on the banking system. And I don't know if we'd want that. Okay. But um, but there is going to be pressure on the zero bound, that's for sure. And that means there's a lot of money to be made in the bond market with capital appreciation because if yields are, you know, 92 mm. basis points right now in the 10 year, yeah, we see that drop to 50 basis points or 40 basis points. You make a lot of money on that. So I have my own opinion about what might be happening over the next one or two years in terms of foreclosures. What do you see as far as trends and the possibility of a foreclosure opportunity coming over the next 12 to 24 months? So right now, 0.3% of homes with a mortgage are in foreclosure, but 34% of homes are on free and clear. So the bottom line is this. An easy way to look at it is imagine you look out and you see 500 households, 500 homes. Only one of them is currently in foreclosure. Now, that's one too many. We can agree. But it is a very tiny amount. This is not like 2009 where 26% of homes right. had a value of the home beneath what the mortgage balance was. So we're in a very different environment. Will foreclosures go up slightly? They probably will go up slightly, but it will not be a meaningful difference. We're not going to see foreclosures reach 2 3%. They're going to remain well beneath 1%, um, even with some of the issues that will happen. Now, as the vaccines get pumped out there and we start to see supply chain come back, those people will have the ability to more easily repay their mortgage if they've fallen behind or fallen on hard times. Currently, we've got about 10 million people more unemployed or receiving unemployment benefits than we typically would have. We lost 20,000 jobs, we put 20 million jobs, we put 10 million back, but that will continue to improve a little bit. As it does, it will take away any kind of burden on additional foreclosures. But here's the thing is that it won't adversely affect the housing market because unfortunately, if somebody does go into foreclosure, which they won't because they've got equity to protect, remember, then they'll put their home on the market and they'll sell very, very quickly. So there's not going to be any negative turbulence that the real estate market will have to endure. We are in for 6% appreciation. And remember, Marco, if you put 10% mm -hmm. down on the home and get 6% appreciation, you get 60% on your money. Right, yeah. Power of leverage and real estate is a beautiful thing and it's especially uh, one of the most tax efficient investments out there. So you're clearly bullish about real estate going forward in terms of the housing market, strong demand, lack of supply, mortgage rates staying low, possibly even going lower. Are there any headwinds that we should be aware of in the next year or two? Because, I mean, we can't just be talking about, you know, candy and roses here. Well, under the Biden administration, you're going to get more of a CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection 
Bureau, which is going to look like it did under Obama. So that means additional costs for the consumer, additional time train, and a little bit stricter guidelines. So people will get crowded out of the housing market just because regulation will increase. And that will temper some of the gains that you'll see in real estate. The tax laws can be something that, you know, if the GOP re retains control of the Senate, then there's some insulation there. But I do think you probably see the tax bracket go in either case from 37 to 39.6, but it won't go to the 44.8 that was proposed in Biden's plan. Mm -hmm. Now, if the Senate goes blue, then you may have a few other things. You'll probably have the estate tax drop from what will be 11.7 million from 11.5 and change now in 2021 to probably in 2022 being somewhere in the range of five and a half million. The other big one, the big, 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 big bonanza here that would hurt the markets, that would hurt everything is if the capital gains tax goes to uh, the income tax rate, if you're over 400,000 in income, which Biden wants to do, I think that's really ill-advised. You know, let's remember that people think capital gains is 20%. No, under the Obama plan, if you make more than $200,000, it's 23.8%. But even at 23.8%, if it went to 44.8%, that's a 21% increase in tax. That will seize up the credit markets. It will seize up much of the housing market, because that's going to be a tough one to uh, put together because you might say, well, why would I want to do this and pay this enormous tax bill with all the appreciation? So right. it will slow turnover of uh, property. Yeah. And, and of course, the, the stock market, you can guess, probably won't like that. And what you may see in the stock market is potentially a meaningful decline, which really affects everyone's wealth effect and what they want to do. I mean, what the Fed's trying to do is create a wealth effect, right? But this would kind of work adversely. Yeah, the quickest way to kill the housing market is to uh, tighten up or dry up the credit markets. Our society, our economy functions on credit, period. <laughs> it's the lifeblood. It is the lifeblood. So we're going to keep printing to infinity, unfortunately. We don't know what the results of this are going to be, Marco, you know, because this is an untried experiment. But if we look at Japan, we say, you know, well, we like yeah. the vapors and turning Japanese here. Yeah. Um, the monetization of debt has resulted in extraordinarily slow growth. They can't get inflation there no matter how hard they try. So it, it's slow growth, but it's low interest rates. And real estate is a good place to be. Absolutely. I firmly believe that. Also, by the way, you know, gold, Bitcoin, silver, as the currency continues to debase. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bitcoin has been very strong lately. Precious metals have been very strong over the last year or two. Yeah, absolutely. The only problem with those assets or asset classes, if you will, is they don't generate income. You could argue they're truly not investments because they're not creating cash flow and they're not paying for themselves. They're just speculative. They go up and they go down. But it's a great way to hedge against what's being done to debase the currency. You know, gold right now, you know, if it was between 1700 and 1900 is the trading range it's in, a break above 1900 would be very, very, very bullish for gold and prices will go. Very much you know, so. Yeah. But do you agree with me in the terms of them being- uh, They don't generate a return, correct. You know, they don't have a yield. They don't have a return per se, yeah. but you know, it's kind of analogous to purchasing a stock that's a growth stock that doesn't offer dividends. Correct. You know, you're, you're not getting dividends, but it's just capital appreciation or capital loss. You know, rather than betting, making your bet on what the company's performance would be, you're making the bet here on the debasement of the currency and given the level of debt and given the Fed's you know, now make up with Janet Yellen as far as the Treasury Secretary and Jerome Powell as the Fed Chair, it seems to me that uh, debasement of our currency is going to be in the cards for quite a while. Now, that can be you know, dangerous because you import inflation with that, 
But then all the other countries are also trying to race to zero anyway, or race to you know, the race to the bottom. So that should be offset to some degree. But you know, this does bode well for those hedges against currency debasement, like Bitcoin, like mm -hmm. uh, like gold, like silver. Yeah, I think you and I are pretty much of the same mind when it comes to that. Just before we get off the whole topic of real estate, if you, given everything we've talked about, and, and obviously we could talk about this for hours, given what's going on and what may potentially happen in the new year with, you know, with the Biden administration, et cetera, et cetera, if you were looking to invest in real estate right now, or you are investing and you're wondering whether you should pump the brakes, double down, or something else, what would you be doing in your opinion? I cautiously accelerate. You know, I wouldn't be reckless about it. You want to try and get a good deal, but I would be a buyer. I am a buyer of real mm -hmm. estate. You know, I just, just purchased that home. Now, I don't have an expertise in the commercial end, although I may be, you know, dipping my toe into that area. It's more complicated and it's a different animal. And you have to be careful with multifamily residential because those people have been affected more by COVID. I'd want to wait to see after we get, you know, herd immunity and vaccination as jobs come back, as that segment starts to get healthier. I'd want to wait for that and be patient. You know, you might have to wait eight or 10 months to see how that starts to look. I don't think I'd be rushing to that, but there are some very good commercial properties. You know, I like stuff that uh, like real estate on a supermarket or something like that, where you've got multi, multi-year leases and listen, you know, make a fortune, but there are tax advantages and depreciation. And, you know, there's things that you're able to do to make that really work in your favor. I like those types of investments. Uh, with regards to residential real estate, I think if you're buying a home or a second home, this is a really good time. Don't even think about it. And if you have to pony up and pay a little over asking price in order to win the deal, get your arms around that too, because that's probably not a bad decision. Again, everything needs to be evaluated. You want to look at what does the appreciation look like in my area? Know that res that single families are going to appreciate at a much faster clip than condos are. So please take that into consideration. Very, very well said. There was a lot of gold nuggets in there. I think I'm going to pull some of that out and start tweeting it on social media. That was really well said. Well, let's transition. I mean, you and I could talk about real estate for hours, but I just got my hands on your recent newly released book called Money in the Streets. I just started reading it last night. The cover is fantastic, by the way. Thank you. So I read the intro. I started reading, you know, the first chapter and I read the book summary as well. And it's just a fascinating book. So first of all, Share with us, I mean, you're talking to 70,000 people listening to this show. Talk about what the book's about and then so, share what inspired you to write this book because I love the journey that you're starting to talk about in there. Thankfully, thank God. It, it, it has been, uh, it's been such a blessing and so many people, I mean, the reviews on the book are through the roof and it actually hit number one on Amazon's bestseller list, which to me, I tell you what, I actually got emotional, Marco, when I saw that I would never imagine that would have happened. So uh, the book is really getting a lot of a lot of momentum and it's a pass on book. People say, no, no, you got to get this because it really helped me all the, all the social media stuff that's out there. Tony Robbins, as a matter of fact, he liked it so much and he doesn't do this. He put a whole video, if you look on his page, he does a whole video about how you need to have this book. So the book really, Marco, it will help you if you're struggling. We all suffer, I suffer, we all suffer, okay? We all go through some tough times. It will help you get through that, get through it quicker. And here's the other thing that we don't think about. When things are going our way, when you have a tailwind, what we really have to do is figure out a way to maximize that. We don't often think about that. And this book will help you to think differently to maximize that. And then the other thing it will help you do, and this was the inspiration for the title of the book and the name of the book is that there is money in the streets, meaning there's opportunity everywhere that people are just walking by. And that's on the cover of the book. You see the money all over and people just oblivious and passing it by. <laughs> now, my, my parents were immigrants. I'm first generation here. And, uh, 
my, they were a lot older when I was born. I, I was definitely the, you know, surprise, the mistake. And, and there's a lot of stories in the book. I was actually up for grabs even before I was born. But <laughs> I think that you will, you'll find a lot. Now, while there's some of my stories here, it's not at all about me, but it's through me. It's things that you can relate to. And when my dad was 57 when I was born, my mom was 40. So fortunately, I made it, get this, Marco, I snuck in there right before birth control was available and as well as <laughs> abortions becoming legal. So man, I threaded the needle. I, uh, I was able to kind of sneak in there. So this is all bonus time for me, Marco. So I just want to do as much good as I possibly can. With respect to the name of the book, as every immigrant who's out there or child of an immigrant can relate to, people hear about America and how it's a, such a great country and there's gold in the streets, there's money in the streets. They say, America is such a rich country, there's money in the streets, all you gotta do is bend down and pick it up. And when I was a little boy, my mom would tell me this story. You know, my dad passed away when I was really young. My mom would say, you know, was, and, and she'd laugh, but it was also sad that the America that they came to was an awful lot harder than they actually thought it would be because my dad had to work in a hot dog stand. My mom worked in a sweatshop making dresses. They barely made men's meat tiny little apartment in Brooklyn, New York. So as I discovered that there truly is opportunity everywhere, that all you have to do is look at it differently, know how to pick it up and do good with it for others, that there really is money in the streets. And I remember sitting down with my mom before she passed and I said, you know, mom, you were right. There really is money in the streets. All you have to do is look for it a little differently and pick it up and do good with it. And there's plenty of it there. And yeah, that was kind of the inspiration for me for the title of the book, Marco, because I wanted everybody to understand and see that we all have so much opportunity. And that's not the thing that what, what holds us back isn't that nobody gives us the opportunity. What holds us back is we don't see the opportunity that are right out there in front of us. It's such a different way of living if you just see opportunity differently. I completely agree with you. And it was a brilliant idea for a book. There's a lot of books out there about, you know, positive mental attitude and goal setting and this and that. But if you really work your way back in that chain, it's really about being aware of what's around you and seeing opportunities. I like to say there's three kinds of people in the world. There's people who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and then there's those people who wonder what happened, right? And unfortunately, most people fall into that third category most of the time, not all of the time, and they're oblivious to the opportunities around. So I love this book. I think it's timely and it's a great subject. So what's the biggest takeaway of the book? Oh, man, Marco, there's, there's so much, whether it's, look, overcoming intimidation, overcoming fear, overcoming adversity. What is the mindset that you need to have? What do you look at as far as how you can see things differently? And, and you know, you mentioned kind of reverse engineering. There's a whole chapter on reverse engineering. It's just treating your tasks and your goals like a GPS and right. you put in your destination, but then it's got a map backwards in the reverse engineering. So we talk about that and we get very specific on how to achieve levels of success. But, you know, Marco, there's so many things. I guess one of the things that's kind of interesting is just the focus. You know, I've been very blessed that so many really brilliant people helped to mentor me mm. and teach me so much. And I thought I had the right focus. And what was open to me was that we really need to change the way we look. It's got to be a lot bigger. You know, we get busy. And even if we're successful, our success hurts us. Look, McDonald's in 1955 was a great burger shop. And those guys were so freaking busy. It was unbelievable. Now, many people, when they get that busy and they're presented with someone, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. They're too busy. And what happens is, is that we miss the opportunity there. You see, as those guys had a successful business, what they decided to do was think bigger and grow. And what they did was they said, look, we don't have the bandwidth just us. So what we want to do is hire others 
and put other things in place and build systems. The fact that we're doing well, let's use that money, plow it back into growth and resources. And that's how you get really big. So if they didn't do that, they'd just be still like they were in 1955 in San Bernardino, California, a really good burger shop. So what we have to think of, do we want a good burger shop? Or do we want to build an empire? Mm -hmm. And if you start focusing that way, and you know, Marco, I, I love cars. I love to drive on the track, but I'm always in learn mode. So I usually go out with a professional driver as, as an instructor, just because I want to sharpen skills and get better. And he taught me this wonderful lesson I want to share with everyone here that isn't about driving. It's about focus. And he says, you know, Barry says, I noticed you like so many people when you're driving, you're looking kind of at the car in front of you. And it's like, okay, well, that's kind of like the way we we're taught, you know, and I bet you if you catch yourself, that's what you look right. at. You shouldn't do that. You really need to look down the road and your focus should be down the road. And he did something really interesting. He took a bottle of water and he said, get out of the car. He put the bottle of water about 20 feet in front of me. And he says, okay, look at the bottle of water. And he says, can you read the sign? I said, no, I can't. He says, okay, look at the sign. Can you still see the bottle of water? I said, yes, I can. He said, if you do that, you'll be so much of a better driver because you'll see everything coming at you. You'll see all the good stuff. You'll see all the stuff that you should be worried about. But we're too busy looking at this. So I took it to the next level. And I said, yeah, if you do that while you're driving, you'll be a better driver. But man, if you do that in life, you can't help but be much more successful. So really, it's just about that focus, about seeing the much bigger picture, about not being too afraid to take that step, not, you know, to really learn to trust your gut to do the things, Marco, that can create generational wealth and happiness. And remember, it's not all about money because there's so many really, really unhappy, very wealthy people out there, right? And I believe, I believe it's because they don't have something called fulfillment. Mm. So fulfillment often comes from helping others or doing good for others or just, just feeling a sense that you're doing the right thing. You're doing good in the world. You're adding something that's good. And I believe that by having that fulfillment along with the goals that you need to set, you know, that's how we can approach this thing called happiness. You know, if I were to define happiness in a word, Marco, I'd call it progress. You know, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I wanted to lose 10 pounds and I'm not quite there yet, but if I lost four, I'm not to my goal, but you know what? I'm happy. I'm feeling happy. So life is like that. If we constantly set things up to give us the ability to continue to make progress, not play defense. Remember in baseball, you only score when you're on offense. You have to play defense mm -hmm. and you have to play good. But so many of us go through life, Marco, just playing defense, just doing what's thrown at us. What, what we have to do is, to, you know, look, I eat my own home cooking, you know, lists for everything. And every single day I go through my list because that makes me stay on offense. Now, I'm not going to accomplish everything every day, but I need to be moving forward with what my goals are, what my yeah. objectives are. I need to dictate the pace as opposed to being dictated to. Now, a lot of times I got to play defense. I got to do the right thing. I got to follow up. And do, but I want to stay on my path to reach my goals. And I want to be in charge of that. Yeah, well said. I think playing defensively just keeps you where you're at. It prevents you from losing ground, but it doesn't allow you to gain ground. That's the whole idea of playing offensively is you can't move forward and progress unless you're playing offensively. I think def playing defensively comes from a scarcity mindset. You know, at least that's my take on it. So you have to be defensive to protect you and your family and what you have. But at the same time, if you want to get ahead in life, you have to be offensive. Could not agree more with you. Beautiful. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's good. End of conversation. Okay. So basically the book is called Money in the Streets, which basically is saying that there is opportunity everywhere. Unfortunately, most people, most of the time are not 
walking around life with their eyes wide open. They're not aware of what is out there. So is this something that you can train and learn? Absolutely, you can. Oh, yeah, yes. Looking at things differently and uh, the opportunities, you know, uh, just one quick story here, because people do like stories, and this is in the book, where when I, as a young man, you know, I still make a lot of mistakes, but as a young man, I guess I made even more. Well, when I was 26 years old, I was married, and I was blessed with the birth of twins. They were two months old. And me, this young guy, I said, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and start a new business in the mortgage business, a new, <laughs> a new line of work. So, yeah, I didn't realize how tough it would be. And when people were turning me down, nobody wanted to do business with me. I could have thrown the towel in, but you know what? I understood that failure was not an option. So I looked at different ways to do it. And I said, you know, people who are not real estate agents, but can refer me business are people who talk to anyone out there because people know if they're buying homes or if they need to refinance. So I said, why don't I take anyone I'm giving money to, gives me a captive audience, meaning my dentist, my landscaper, my hair cutter, the pizza shop person, you know, whatever it was, they have to listen to me while I'm paying them. So why not tell them what I did? And I took that to an extreme and helped me become the top mortgage professional in the United States in the early 90s. But when, in, when I would go up and down the roads of New Jersey, Every toll booth you could either put in at the time, you didn't have the, the devices. So a 25 cent was what it was in a basket. If you had exact change and you go more quickly, or you go to where there's a toll collector, you gave him a dollar and he gave you the change, right? I had the 25 cents, but I wanted to make sure that I used that opportunity to speak to someone else. And as I passed for those few seconds, I would hand him the 25 cents and my business card and said, hey, if I could save you a lot of money on a refinance or help you buy that new home, please give me a call. Gone. My friends would give me so much crap because it made our trips longer <laughs> in New Jersey. There's a lot of tolls until one day, a guy by the name of Steve Horton from the Tribal Bridge and Tunnel Authority called me. And guess what? I did his refinance, but then I did 17 of his coworkers. Nice. Now, I will promise you that I was not the only person in the mortgage business going up and down the roads of New Jersey, but by looking at things differently. And that's just one tiny example of how you can see opportunities. One more quick one. When I had Rock of Ages and I produced Rock of Ages, the 27th longest running show in Broadway history, I would look at people come into the theater and they would wait online to get a drink. It's New York City. Sometimes they're late. The drink's expensive. They spend $18. They get this adult beverage and then the lights would go and you have to get to your seat because the show's about to begin. But you were not allowed to bring drinks into the theater. Right. So what did they do? They had to guzzle them or not finish them and not have a good feeling. I didn't want that. So I became, I had a lot of fights, a lot of discussions with unions, theater owners, but I was the first show in the history of Broadway to allow drinking in the seats, and now they all do them. So it, and, and it created a buzz in Rock of Ages that made it a great atmosphere, a great show to go to. So when we look at these things, this is just a little bit of a different way to approach things. Look, I had a medical imaging business I started, and I would see people who would get scans, and I've had scans. And you get the tech there. They see what's going on. They know what's going on, but they can't talk to you. They can't tell you anything. So your anxiety makes it so much worse and you suffer and, and peace of mind is so valuable. So I was like, why do we have to do this and make people wait three or four days to talk to their doctor? I had a radiologist on site. So by the time you were dressed, you go to, to a nice room, he'll tell you either great news and you walk out like this, or he'll tell you, listen, it's not what we want, but here's our plan. And now that's a lot better than the anxiety in your mind. It may not be perfect, but at least you now have, can make progress, right? Well, the wonderful thing about that is that that concept became great. We opened those up in the Baltimore area, built it into three different offices, and then sold that business. 
So what I'm trying to say is that anytime you see a point of friction, there's so many other stories about this. How can you alleviate it? What can you do? Bring out that entrepreneurial spirit in yourself and don't talk yourself out of it if you think it's a great idea. Just research it and do it. Do it. Just. I agree. And a lot of what you're talking about, I think, is mindset. People hold themselves back. Let's kind of wrap up this piece of this episode with mindset. You know, the thing is, is we go through life. Bad things will happen. Life, you know, throws curveballs at you all the time. But the one thing you can control is your mind and what your thoughts, right? So maybe comment on that, because I know you talk about this in the book, even though I haven't finished reading it. Oh, yeah. The first chapter is, uh, is about mindset. I mean, really, mindset is everything. You, you, you get to choose. Yeah. You know? um, I had a lot of unfortunate circumstances that occurred to me, and I could choose to be miserable for them, and I could choose to have blame, or what I can choose is I can choose to understand that these are random events. So the most random event that will ever happen in your life is being born. You don't know the year, you don't know the family, you don't know if you're wealthy, you don't know if you're poor, you don't know if you're ugly, you don't know if you're you know, beautiful. You, you have no idea what is in store for you. It is the most random thing that will ever happen to you. So as events occur, you really need to take blame for a lot of them. Some of them that we don't. Some of them are just because we don't understand that other person's side of it. So we talk about that. And look, one big thing for me, one big thing for me, this is, I, this, this is the biggest takeaway, gratitude. Now, mm -hmm. I wake up every morning and I have a little coffee. I like to get started, but then I literally say out loud all of the things that I am grateful for. And that sets your mind up to say, wow, you know, I have all of these amazing, amazing, amazing things. And thank you. Thank you for, for that. I am so grateful for being able to be in this position, whether it's tangible or intangible, maybe it's the love of someone, the respect of someone, whatever it is, there's so much, you know, if you took all your problems and said, okay, you know, are there people there that would take these? So many people would love to have your set of problems, right. right? So we have to just think about that. Now, when we look at putting ourselves in that mindset, that beautiful mindset, and this is something that Tony Robbins, who's a dear, dear friend, taught me, is that even when things go wrong, you can better handle it. And he has something called the 90-second rule, which I employ, and I think it's one of the greatest things as a takeaway for you all. You're going to get pissed off right? Somebody's going to do something, going to cut you off on the road. They're going to say something wrong. Gonna, you're going to get pissed off. So here's the deal. It's okay. You're human. Get pissed off for 90 seconds. But then after that, snap back into that beautiful mindset, because here's why. Don't let that person or that incident steal your joy. And it's not just your joy. We only have one life. So you want to be able to enjoy as much as possible because it's a lot better when you're happy. And the other aspect is the joy you can bring to others when you're in that yeah. bad mindset that Nate, you can't as easily, or maybe it's impossible to bring joy to others. You need to be in that great mindset and then so much joy to bring to others. And that's what gives us the fulfillment that rounds the whole thing out. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that mindset is everything. Yeah. So, you know, if I may just add to that real quick, I personally believe that you're always going to bring someone up or someone down your attitude is like an energy field that you can't see when you're around other people you're either going to help them and bring them up or lift them up or you're going to bring them down and that's your choice you know you you could have be having a miserable day but do you want to affect someone that way as well or do you want to help lift them up so that was beautiful 90 seconds marco give yourself 90 seconds and just snap out of it after that and get back out there and do good you know i love what you said i really do when we take a look at how many people we can really change their life and make a make a 
difference for? I started a gratitude journal and then I kind of fell off the, the wagon, you know, where you'd write in it every morning, something, at least one thing that you're grateful for. And it's a great exercise. I think anybody, everybody should be doing it. But for some reason, I kind of fell off that habit. Well, for me, it's easy. I just say it every single morning. I repeat all the same things and whatever is new, whatever it is, yeah, it's easier. that definitely puts you in a different state. You definitely are going to be a happier person. I promise you. I mean, you see what you want to see. If I put you in a room, if I said, okay, look around this room and look at all the different colors. Now, if I call out a color and I says, okay, look out red. Okay. Uh, yeah. You will see all the yeah. things that are red in that room. Okay. You see what you focus on. You see what you want to see. If you want to see optimism, there's a very common trait among successful people and, and, and that they're optimistic. They're optimistic. That is one of the keys. And by the way, you mentioned something before about drawing people to you. Here's the secret to being magnetic. You ever meet somebody and say, man, they're so magnetic. Mm -hmm. Wow, so really got some charisma. How do I, how do I get some of that, right? <laughs> so easy. Everybody you come into contact with, make them feel better and make them smarter. Now, how do you do that? You can't give what you don't have. So to make them feel better, you just need a good positive attitude. You just need an attitude that you're grateful for what's going on. And that just kind of emits. And then don't be afraid to give people credit. And then what, what you also need to be discovering is that while you're going to have that good nature and kindness, you have to give them something of value. So what are you doing every day to sharpen your skills, to be smarter, to be better? Well, obviously I'm preaching to the choir here because these are listeners that you have because these people have decided they want right. to make themselves better. So if you continue to have that mindset, then don't just make yourself better for you, make yourself better so you can teach others, which is by the way, the best way to learn as well. And True. as you get into situations where those opportunities allow you to add value to people and help them because you've gained expertise and knowledge, as well as lift them up, you're going to become very, very magnetic. Agreed. I love what you talk about. I love your journey. I love your book. I love a lot of things that you're doing. There's one last thing I want to talk about here for two minutes. And something I didn't know about you until just recently, which is yet another thing of many things that you and I share in common, and that is your love of Broadway. So I know you produced uh, Rock of Ages, and I also happen to know what your second favorite show is <laughs> after Rock of Ages, which happens to be my partner who I am co-producing a Broadway musical with. We were until COVID came along and it just got tabled. So share your, um, how did you get involved in Broadway? Let's start with that. And what led to lead producing Rock of Ages? So I had my own show on CNBC for 13 years and I still make appearances there in Fox from time to time. So that created, I guess, you know, when I was a little younger, I was a little <laughs> nicer looking maybe. And uh, somebody wanted to put me in a movie. So, uh, I said, oh man, this is going to be great. I got this big movie career, right? So, <laughs> but I was in actually nine movies with speaking roles, as well as a movie called Barry Monday that I made the trailer of. The guy who wrote and directed Barry Monday, Chris Dorenzo, you know, I'm a friendly person. Again, seeing opportunities that don't, right? So, so I go out of my way to talk to people. I go out of my way to be interested in them and discuss things with them. And he brought up the opportunity of Rock of Ages that was just a script. I looked at it. I read it. I read it again. I loved it. I loved it. Got four other guys. We took a chance. And we put it off Broadway because we believed in it. We were optimistic. And we trusted our gut and our hearts because everybody said, you're freaking nuts. It's stupid investment. Well, then we really made a very daring investment because it was such a hit off Broadway. We took it on Broadway, which is an enormous amount of risk and money and a jukebox musical with a hair band that doesn't take itself seriously. I mean, this <laughs> is something that we thought the critics might kill us. The theater owner was already shopping for the next show to come in before we opened because they thought we would not run six weeks. Well, we wound up running six years 
And then we came out for another runoff where we were in Korea and London and touring uh, the US and, and Australia. And uh, I don't know, there's a few other ones I'm missing here, Toronto, but it became you know a big movie. I was in the movie, I played the record producer. But Rock of Ages is a real blessing. And it's because, again, trusted my gut. It's because I just looked at opportunities and tried to be magnetic with people and help them by giving. You know, we build rela- mm-hmm. life's about relationships, right? And most people look at a relationship and the first thing they do is they ask, okay? I think if the first thing yeah. you do in a relationship is you give and you offer and don't even expect anything in return, your life is going to be different. It's, it's just amazing what happens. Wherever you go, you have friends, you get treated special, people are with you. Everybody looks at you as who is that person that gets this extra love and attention? So focus on that. Do that. What are you doing to give? You know, wherever I live, I bring the police department, you know, for the holidays, big, wonderful spread of food. It's not going to cost a fortune. They just want somebody to say, hey, you know what? We appreciate you. Thank you for what you're doing. These are the types of things that build relationships. Start in whatever it is by giving. If you have something that you could give to help someone, it could be time, whatever it is, build that relationship by offering something that could be good for them. And then don't even look for something in return. But I promise you the way you will be treated is there's no explanation. Yeah, that's brilliant. I can tell you're full of gratitude. I love it. I love that you're a giver and what you've done is amazing. So Let's just wrap it up here. I'm going to recommend that everybody pick up your book, Money in the Streets. I think it's just phenomenal. I'm excited to get you know through it and finish it up here as soon as possible. Barry, do me a favor. Tell my audience where they can find you or reach out to you or get your book. So social media is, is really easy. The book's on Amazon and uh, the book's also Barnes & Noble. I actually recorded in my voice. So it's a little <laughs> home cook, the audible version of it. You know, sometimes it gets burned around the edges, you know, because home cooking. So I'm not a professional book reader, but I, I wanted it in my voice because I wanted the feeling to come through. Uh, that's supposed to be released at the end of this month on Audible, but it's on Kindle too. So easy. And you can find me on social media. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put all that in the show notes. It'll make it easy for people to click through and find you. Any last words for my audience, Barry? Hey, listen, um, just be safe. Be healthy, be kind to other people. God bless you guys. I wish you just a wonderful end of this year and uh, just an amazing 2021. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Barry. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's episode. Remember to download your free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. You can find that on our websites at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com or our main website, NoradaRealEstate.com. Get your free strategy session with one of our investment counselors. If you are thinking about investing in real estate or you plan to invest in real estate or expand your portfolio, there is no cost, no obligation. Our job is to educate you and hold you by the hand and guide you along. And if we can help you, great. If not, at least we'll point you in the right direction. If you have questions about real estate investing, just go to askmarco.com or to the home of our podcast at passiverealestateinvesting.com. And we can hopefully answer your question. We get a lot of them and I try to batch them together into common questions. So I answer them that way. If you haven't subscribed, remember to subscribe. Click that subscribe button so you are made aware of new episodes every single week. Help us spread the word. Share this show with your friends, family, and other like-minded individuals. That is it for today. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on our next episode. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. 
Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.